You know, it was exciting last Sunday when we met in the house churches as the rain poured down around us and uh, probably uh, the same as me. You were all praising God that we were out not uh, working at Carousel Ranch in the mud. Uh, We're going to go back in April on the 23rd, so we'll get the work done. I think we have some more projects to do now because of the rain and mud, but... uh, yeah, it was fun to meet in that kind of an environment. That was on short notice. We didn't have the school available. Yeah, you know, and you have various options to you at that moment. You could say, well, let's just, just cancel church. I mean, if we're not going to be at Carousel Ranch, why do we just sit at home, put on our headphones, Hillsong United. You know, it's been a little chilly out lately, so you could wrap up in a blanket if you want. You know, you you have your modes of comfort. For me, I have these really ugly um, sheep fur-lined slippers. And they don't fit, you know, closely. And so when I walk, they kind of make shuffling noises on the ground. You know, I can't preach in them. I could, but you would lose respect for me. You know, if I just stayed home, I could wear those slippers. Wouldn't have to shave. I wouldn't have to shower. You know, if you have little kids, you could just put on a Barney video or Veggie Tales or something. And right there in the comfort of your own home, you could have a really great time with God. So why meet at house church? Why, why actually meet in Rancho Pico? You know, the school system charges us almost $1,300 every Sunday to meet here and use our kids' kingdom classrooms. And they make us rent the quad area because... We serve food. We take communion in that area. So why, why do we spend all that money? I mean, you think about the amount of money we spend on our sound equipment. It's a lot of money to spend on sound equipment. I mean, the band, the part singers, they, they have to rehearse. They have to practice. Like, Why do we go through all that? I mean, it would be just be way more convenient to just sit at home with our fluffy blankets and our great headphones with Hillsong United. We could Google exactly what our need is and sermons, and then we could find a sermon of a great minister preaching the word, and it would be exactly what we need every Sunday. It would be a glorious time. So why why do we go through all this trouble to meet here? Why do we go through all the trouble to meet on Tuesday nights together? I mean, from a financial point of view, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. say, well, well, because we go to church, right? You know, we go to church. Now, the Bible says that we are the church, so wherever we go, the church goes with us. In this case, 
going to church is Rancho Pico. But if you look at Acts chapter 2, and you see the very first New Testament believers and the kind of life that they lived, God wanted you and I to lock in on some concepts that were important. And in verse 42 to 47, this right after 3,000 people got baptized after one sermon. So you got 3,000 baby Christians in Jerusalem. They're in town from out of town. They were there for the Feast of Pentecost as Jews. They become disciples. And so now Christianity is born. And so what are they supposed to do? And the Bible said, here's, here's what they're supposed to do. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know what the Bible emphasizes is the togetherness of the church. And you think about what they were devoted to, and it says, you know, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Back in that day, they couldn't go to the family Christian bookstore and buy a Bible. You know, their ministry hadn't set up a book table yet. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. You know, so if they wanted to hear the apostles' teaching, they had to go to the apostles to get it. So it's the fellowship. You know, you can't fellowship by yourself. I had a great time of fellowship with myself. You have different needs if that's the case. And I don't know if I can help you. Fellowship requires somebody else to be with you to fellowship with. Okay, there's, there's deep Greek Bible study for you right there. To the breaking of bread. You say, well, that was the Lord's Supper. Well, yes, it was, but it was actually more than that. In, that. in that day, they actually had what they called love feasts, and they actually shared meals together. It wasn't just, you know, awesome communion bread and Welch's. I'm a big believer in Welch's. I think that's just the best grape juice going. We want to honor Jesus. But they, they actually had meals together. So it wasn't by themselves. It was something they did together. And then prayer. Oh, the Bible talks a lot about how they were together praying. But you could be praying by yourself. But this is what they were devoted to. But you just can't help but get the message. They were together. They met together in the temple courts. They met together in their homes. They shared meals together. They broke bread together. And so why do we go through all this work, the logistics, the finances, the effort, so that we can be together? You see, God did not create the idea of a church going, well, 
You really don't need to be together. But since it's going to become like this tradition that you get together on the first day of the week, we might as well kind of have this. Oh, God knows how you and I work. He knows how we think. He knows how we operate. And he knows what we need. And Christianity from day one was designed to be lived out together with like-minded people. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a retreat on your own. But the concept that you and God can be complete without being together with fellow believers is not a biblical concept. It's just not in the scriptures anywhere. And so when we think about the church meeting together, why are we here? We have to get God's perspective on why. Otherwise, we just come out of habit and we lose the heart of what God intended. I remember the first time I, I, I really saw this with my own experience. And, you know, I had become a disciple in the campus ministry and we just had a phenomenal opportunity to become part of the fellowship. And then Cheryl and I got married and we were asked to lead the Hamilton Church. And that's a steel town about halfway between Toronto and Niagara Falls. So that was that was our first ministry together as a married couple. And we got a phone call from a group. It was a small group in Buffalo and Rochester, New York. That said, you guys are the closest disciples. And we're here. But we want to be together with disciples. And we explained to them, listen, we want to help in whatever way we can, but you guys are a long way away. And they said, listen, that's no problem. Just will you let us meet together with you? We said, we, you know, in the early days, we met in Hamilton one week a month. And then we drove into Toronto the other three weeks a month. So that made almost a, a four-hour journey for some of the ones from south of Rochester, New York, to come. And they would rent a Greyhound bus and with their little kids. And they would bring neighbors. And they would bring co-workers. And they would bring classmates. And they would go through U.S. immigration and customs in their bus to be able to go to church in Hamilton or Toronto. And then afterwards, the whole bus would come to Toronto and we'd have lunch together. And then they would travel back home. And there's so many times where I thought to myself, wow, that's a lot of work. Just to go to church. But if I could have recorded their faces and the gratitude in their heart, and they were like, it is just so awesome to be together. I could have said, why did I FedEx you some sermon tapes from my last sermon and you guys just get together and then you can listen to it? They're like, no, no, no. We want to be together. We want our kids to be together. And after about nine months of that, uh, we, we were in conversation with Steve Johnson, who was leading the New York City Church at the time. And we said, we actually have a, a, a good-sized group of disciples in Buffalo and Rochester. They just need a church leader. And they sent Danny and Tracy Macaluso, and that began the Buffalo Church of Christ back in the spring of 1991. 
But it was amazing to see their hearts. They never complained. Why? Because they were so grateful to be together. And you say, oh, that's the church at work. Because there's something unique that happens when you're together that cannot happen any other way. There's dynamics of Christianity that will never be developed without being together. So with this in mind, we're going to dive into a few areas of this concept of of being together. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. The church in Ephesus was a great church. Timothy ended up leading it. Scholars say it was in its heyday, it was between 30 and 100,000 disciples. It's a big church. So here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to start over in chapter 2. In verse 19 through 22. And he says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and, and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So what's, what's he talking about here? He says, man, you're no longer foreigners, you're no longer aliens, but you're, you're members, you're citizens, you're, you're all together. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no young, there is no old, there is no rich, there is no poor. No, 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 you're all being built together. But notice the concept, he goes, you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He does not say... And you guys are being built as individuals so that God can live by His Spirit. No, there was the camaraderie, there's the teamwork, there's the membership, the obligation, the, the relational commitment that builds God's family together. Building the family of God is part of the Christian life. Because we all want to be belong. We all want to be connected. We all want to enjoy loving, healthy relationships that strengthen one another. But there's a mutual commitment to that challenge. Without it, the family becomes dysfunctional. So he says, you two are being built together. And there's the idea of being together. A little bit later in chapter 4, uh, in verse 14... Through 16, he says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up, uh, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, Paul says that Christian maturity is found in togetherness. Being a strong individual does not make you a mature Christian. Mature Christians are interdependent. There's a mutual relationship commitment in the mature Christian. 
And he's talking about this relational development, and he goes, instead, we'll no longer be infants. You know, we can really be old and immature at the same time. It is not a badge of honor to arrive at a point where we don't need anybody or anything because we figured it all out on our own. We're familiar with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he do? Man, I need you, Peter, James, and John. I need you to come and pray with me because I'm hurting right now. That's the Son of God, the perfect, sinless Son of God. He's the one we're trying to imitate. He's not ashamed that he needed his friends at that moment. Why? Because a mature Christian is interdependent relationally on one another. So here's point number one in this category. Do you build bonds or barriers? Do you build togetherness? Does togetherness follow you? Or isolation? What do your relationships look like? What is your time spent with relationships look like? Who influences you the most? Who do you influence the most? You know, I, I think of some great bonders. You know, people that just loved love to kind of build bridges and connect and all that. I think of the Felici family. I've met so many people through the Felici family. And then you had friends that are decades older than them. They've got friends that are decades younger than them, different walks of life. You know, and I just think that they're just connectors. They're bonders. They, you know, just they attract people. And you just when you're with them, you're going to get attracted to that, too. And you're going to meet new people. I think about Myra Santana. She's she's another one of these like bond builder persons. Always. I've got somebody that I want you to meet. I want you to introduce. I've got this friend. You know, I think about Frankie Olagas. Frankie is one of those guys. I think Frankie may know as many people as Jesus. Frankie, Frankie. Frankie has a friend that knows a friend. He's got a guy that can take care of whatever your situation is. Just go to Frankie. He's got a friend that will take care of it. But you know what? I'm so glad to have people like that. I'm so glad to be married to a connector myself. Because on my own, I'm not naturally a connector. But you know what? We have a Christian obligation to become builders of bonds. Or else our sinful nature will take over. Our world right now is not built by bond builders. We're building barriers. God's church should be distinct. It should be different. You look around. Look at the ethnicity in here. It's awesome. That's the way it ought to be. God's church better reflect the society we live in, or we're not loving people the way Jesus did. We should be different. We should be unique. I remember we had we had a neighbor down in Chatsworth that one day You know, you could tell they were like the community representative of, go talk to those people. Because people in the community, they're like, do you guys run a halfway house? (laughs) 
because they saw a lot of young college students coming in and out all the time. I would have said, sort of, but no. Like, we're, we, we have a lot of adopted children. At the time, I said, we lead the, the Cal State Northridge campus ministry. We got about a, 120 students there. And so they like coming to our house. So they're all friendly people. You can trust them. But there ought to be something distinct about your life where people see your relationships and go, wow, there's something different about you. You're friends. I see, I see people around you. Not dead ones either. You have a lot of people. You have a lot of friends. You know so many people. That's the way a Christian life ought to be. Why? Because you're builders of bonds. So, so that's a sign of maturity. As a Christian, you go, I'm just not good at it. Well, neither am I. So you got to work on it. There's times where you got to deny yourself, where you got to push yourself. You see, now, remember where we started. Why, Why do we meet together? Because God knew that some of us are natural bond builders, and they couldn't imagine life any other way. Well, who wouldn't want to be together? And praise Jesus for you. But not all of us are wired that way. And God knows if we're going to learn to love people like Jesus, we've got to surround ourselves. We've got to be together with people. And that develops our spiritual life. So we've got to be a bond builder, not a barrier builder. Okay, let's move on. Hebrews chapter 10. It's a great verse about meeting together. And we look at it. Often in this context, and too often, we don't let the weight of what's being said really hit our hearts because we go, oh, yeah, you know, let's not give up meeting together. That's, of course, that's what the preacher is going to say. No, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. This is what God says. Why? Because he knows what we need. So don't minimize this verse just because you know it. Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Say, what does God know that we need? We need encouragement. That means we need to be together so we can be encouraged and we can encourage others. Do you realize It's impossible to encourage somebody unless you have connection with somebody. You go, yeah, but I'll text them. That is the minimal required effort of encouragement. Love you. And it gives just about that much encouragement. Face-to-face contact, so much better. You know what? God knew that we would make technological advances. God knew that we would have social media. God knew that we could text and email one another. But God said, meet together. He didn't say, all text each other at the same time. Group text. We're texting together. Isn't that fellowship? No.
You see, there's just aspects of Christianity you cannot fulfill. You cannot live out unless it's done together. You remember the famous uh, scene at the Last Supper where Jesus washes their feet in John 13. And then in verse 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The hallmark of a disciple is the loving of one another. So much so that it's, it's so rare and distinct that the world goes, oh, you must be disciples of Jesus. You can't love one another unless you're with one another. Loving one another cannot be lived out in isolation. You go, yeah, but I don't trust people. I've been hurt. You know, we've all been hurt. Jesus was hurt. Jesus was betrayed by the people he washed their feet. We can all relate to being hurt in serious ways, harmful ways that have left scars. But taking those hurts, internalizing them, and living in isolation does not help you process hurts. It doesn't work. You heal by living and loving in a community environment. And I think that's why Jesus knows, hey, if we're called to love one another, not just any way, but his way, then we process in a different way. When you get involved in other people's lives, you, you see things. You, know, you, you can be miserable about your situation. Then you get involved in somebody else's life and you're like, whoa, am I thankful I'm not going through that. And all of a sudden you feel pretty good about your life. In Romans 12, Paul talks to the church in Rome about having sincere love one for another and using your gifts to encourage one another. And then in verse 13 of Romans 12, he says, practice hospitality. Now, I want you to think for a moment about hospitality. Say, so what else is similar to hospitality? Hospital. Do you realize hospitals are Christian concepts? Just Christians started the first hospitals. They were showing hospitality to needy, hurting people. That's a Jesus concept. The world's concept was good luck, survival of the fittest. If you're weak, well, then you must have weak genes, so hopefully you won't propagate and the world won't be worse off. Seriously, that's, that's how the world looked at it. Until Jesus came along and said, no, everybody matters. Women matter. The hurting matters. The children matter. Our enemies matter. Our persecutors matter. Jesus instituted a whole different way of living. 
And so when we're commanded to love as Jesus did, what, what's he saying? He's saying offer hospitality. Bring them to your hospital. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, point number two is hospitality or hotel. just want you to mull over that picture for a moment. You know, I like staying in a hotel. If I had to be a business traveler on the road, you know, all the time, I would probably hate hotels. But when you just go to, like, spend the night away with your wife for your anniversary or Valentine's or something like that, hotels are awesome. It's just, you know, you just chill out. It's, you know, you're just there. It's time for me to refresh. But, you know, when you think about the, the hotel and then you think about a hospital, you, you know what they... They, they don't have on the hospital doors for the patient rooms. They don't have do not disturb signs. Did you, did you guys realize that? Like, can you imagine that? Or what if the nursing station had that? Do not disturb. Like, what if the nurse's attitude was like the patient said, I need more pain meds. And they said, nope. I've got the do not disturb sign up. Remember? I'm relaxing right now. I need a little me time. You're like, yeah, but I'm in pain. I'm in an eight. Say eight. You know, the comedian, say eight. If you're a man, you cannot say nine or ten. You're not allowed. Eight. Anything less than that's not serious, but, you, you know, you will get bad looks from women who have given birth if you say more than eight. So eight. Eight's the number. Say eight. Okay? But I admire nurses. Every day they go to work, and you know what they do? They serve. They serve, and they serve, and they serve, and they serve, and they get tired, and they still serve. And they had to be up all night because their little one was sick, and they serve. Because that's what a nurse does at a hospital. There's patients who need them. It's not a hotel. The food will definitely make you aware of that. But what's supposed to be the model of Christian relationships? You know what Jesus is saying? He goes, you're the nurse. Offer hospitality. You're the nurse. When they come to your house, heal them. Encourage them. They're the patient. You're the nurse. Practice hospitality. That's what hospitality is, where you're the need meter. Now, I want you to think for a moment how, how you, you would feel about your relationships if you're just really honest. Are you a nurse or are you a patient? Now, there's definitely times when we all need to be patients. We're just hurting and we need help. But is that the general pattern of your relationships? Or are you the nurse? You know, some of us are really disconnected 
unless we spiritually are in the ER room. And we're a severe patient. And then we have very high expectations of, of relational commitments at that moment. Say, are you a nurse or are you a patient? God calls all Christians to invite people into your hospital. All Christians. Not the highly skilled ones. And I remember in a campus brother's household in Toronto, you know, you have interesting creations of meals. And I had a roommate, Albert Chan. He's from Hong Kong. And he had Chinese medicine for every ailment, you know, said like dragon's blood on there and whatever. It's like, I don't feel good here. Drink this. Eat this. I'm like, this stuff is gross. Yeah, but it works. Maybe, maybe not. But I remember once, Albert was in charge of the, the, the meal that the household was having. So five college students all got together, and we were famished, as college students are. And we're like, all right, what do we have? And he said, soup. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe it's really good soup. So I went over with my bowl, stirred around. And I saw these, like, pieces of hot dogs. I'm like, Albert, what's with the hot dogs in the soup? He goes, I mean, hot dog soup. (laughs) And I said, is this a recipe? And he goes, no, I just made it. And I go, what else is in the hot dog soup? It's just hot dogs. (laughs) It was nasty. I love hot dogs, but hot dogs were not meant to be in soup. I was grateful for the effort, not for the flavor. But I survived. You know, sometimes we think, i got to be a gourmet chef if I'm going to invite somebody over for dinner. No, you don't. you just got to follow a recipe. You know, we had a really encouraging time last night. We were at the Bloomfields. Kelly Kelly cooked us a great dinner. And you know what? And and Kevin and Kelly, they, they were very hospitable. They asked about us, and the, the girls were involved, and they were showing us volcano projects. And we told all kinds of exciting, embarrassing family stories. We fed a bearded dragon worms. I mean, it it contained everything. And, you know, we laughed and we were really encouraged. Yeah, we attended the the Bloomfield Hospital. And you know what? And there was no copay. It's pretty awesome. We had a great time. I didn't eat any ice cream for dessert. I wanted to. But I have my plan. Still not motivated yet to lose weight, but I have my plan. So I'm down 10 pounds so far this year. I'm getting there. So anyway, they had ice cream. I did not. But what's the practical? Be a hospital. How often? All the time. You see, Ron, I'm married. I got kids. My life is so hectic. Then at least set aside one night a week 
That's your hospitality night. It's one of the greatest family times with your kids. You're, you're making a meal together and you're bringing people in and, you know, you're praying to have a really great impact on them and, you know, you serve them something good. Don't give them hot dog soup. There's some great chefs in this church. Just ask them to share their recipes. I'm still trying to get hot sauce from Uncha, her recipe. I keep praying. It's been over two decades. She still laughs at me. I could be so much more hospitable if I knew how to make that. Anyway, peer pressure. But we're not trying to run Christian hotels. We want to run hospitals. See, that's the charge for the Christians. And finally, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15 to 20. It says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another great reference you can write down, Colossians 3, verse 15 to 17. Say, why, remember, why, why is the church meet together? And point number three, because it's a family dinner, not the food court. You see, when you have a family dinner, you're all together and you're all eating and it's the same thing and you're united and you're sharing it together. Our family could go to a really big food court and say, all right, everybody go get their own thing, you know, and then we'll eat at separate tables nearby. And then when we're done, let's reconnect. You know, that was a great family dinner. We all got exactly what we want, when we wanted it, you know, and that was just amazing. If that's what you call the family dinner, you'd go, wait, that's, that's not a family dinner. Yeah, but we got what we wanted. Well, what's the main point of family dinner? Is it to eat? No. It's to be together. Then, to eat. You see, and I think we can get misguided when we think about what worship in the church setting is supposed to be. And we can actually get to a point where we start going, this is supposed to be my manna for the morning. No, it's not. Your manna for the morning is what you're supposed to do before you came to church. That's between you and God. That's what you and he do. That's your manna for the morning. That's your your daily bread. But when you come to church, what's the worship dynamic? Well, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, it says that, that we're singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to each other. 
but it also says that we sing and make music in our heart to the Lord. So wait, is it is it to each other or is it to God? Yes. It's both. So corporate worship is mutual encouragement. We're singing out to one another. You go, well, I don't know the words. Look on the song sheet. Get the songbook out. Read them. God, I don't have a good singing voice. That's okay. You know, when, when, if you're a parent and your kids are little, and you hear them singing songs, you not walk in and go, sorry, son, you were flat on that note. You're like, that's awesome. They're singing. It's so great. It's nice when you're on key, but not a necessary requirement. But to come to church and not sing to one another, that's like showing up at a family dinner and putting headphones and a hoodie on and sitting there with your... Yeah, you're at the table. You're there at the family dinner. And maybe, you know, if it's like in our house and your kids were old enough to get cell phones. You know, one of our youngsters showed me her new phone. And I said, you're not going to use that at the dinner table, are you? She's like, no. And I go, good, because your parents will take it away if you do. But you know what? Like, you reach that moment in time where you're having family dinner, and the kids are trying to eat, but you see them. <laughs> you're like, give me the phone. What? I'm like, just give me the phone. Here. Like, the goal is not attendance. Oh, wow, if you're just in attendance at the family dinner, then that's fine. No. You want the family engaged with the family. So why do we meet together? Why did God plan for us to be together? So that we can sing and make music and we can speak to one another. It's encouraging one another. Yes, it's to God. But there's a second component of worship that is to one another. You see, we're not coming to church for the food court. We're coming for a family dinner. And that's why God says it needs to be done together. You don't want it to hold up with our family dinner. Here's just a quick list for you to think about. Our setup crew, the ushers, the part singers, the sound crew, the worship band, the kids' kingdom teachers, uh, whoever does the welcome, the Lord's Supper, the bread bakers, the contribution counters, the book table crew. You know, they're all part... They're all part of just the making of the family meal. You know, we all have our role to play. If we have a, if we have a big family dinner, if there's a turkey involved, Robin knows Robin is in charge of the turkey. Because there's a lot of people that make a good turkey, but hers is the most amazing turkey. So she gets no choices. She makes turkey. And if the carrot cake is going to be made, she also has to make that. Or the Kahlua cake, also known as a baptismal cake. That's, Robin makes that. I'm always in charge of mashed potatoes and gravy if required. And most of the time, the meat. They do not put me in charge of the salad. Okay. You have your specialty, but we all come together. You know what we make? We, you, you look at this whole list of people working hard to set everything up. It makes for a great family dinner. 
you think about Thanksgiving and hours and hours and hours going to the meal and then everybody comes together and boom, and it's done. And then now there's just a mountain of dishes. Was it worth it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, God knows the same thing for you and for me. But it's got to be done together. Because you don't have a family meal unless you're with the family. He's not looking for the food court. It's not about our individual preferences. It's about the mutual encouragement. So why do we rent a hall? Why do we invest all this time and energy? Because God planned the church so that we could live out our Christianity together. So what do we do practically to create the family dinner? Come to give. Come early to give. Stay late to give. Be a fellowshipper. Find somebody. Introduce yourself. Get to know them. Ask them questions. Intelligent ones, preferably. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? What do you need? That's, you come to give. You come to make a difference. Why? Because as Christians, we want to be builders of bonds. We want to be our own personal hospital as we offer hospitality on a regular basis. And when the church gets together, what's it need to be? One big family dinner. Yeah, we're worshiping God. But the Bible says, no, we're singing to one another. We're speaking to one another. We're strengthening one another. That the church can be built up. Let's keep these things in mind that we fulfill our part to play in God's design for the church. And let's live out our Christianity together forever. Let's stand as we close in a final song.